Um, so first things first, thank you so much for agreeing to do this interview with the Xavierite. Um, my name is Cheyenne. I'm the news editor. I'll be conducting the interview. Um, but with me, I also have my editor-in-chief. Her name's Elizabeth. I know we have a short amount of time tonight, so um, let's just jump right in, okay? Sure. Um, so first things first, um, we all know that the financial stability of the state is not exactly 100% at the moment. Um, but how exactly would you plan on addressing the after effects, basically, of the budget crisis? Well, you actually just asked two different great questions. <clears throat> first of all, we have a tax system built for an economy that doesn't exist anymore, a tax system that asks the middle class and the working poor to pay too much, a tax system that lets the rich off the hook. And it's time for us to build a tax system for modern economy that asks the wealthiest to pay their share so that we can have a budget that works for the rest of us. But you also asked, how do we deal with the after effects of the budget crisis, the after effects that include a social service network that is fraying, universities and community colleges that have been harmed grievously, faculty leaving, and enrollment dropping, it's time for us to have a long-term sustainable budget plan that invests in the institutions that need to be rebuilt, and we need to recruit people to go into those fields to make sure that we have a workforce for the social service sector that we ought to have, mm -hmm. not the social service sector that we unfortunately have been reduced to. And um, you actually brought up education and that's kind of a big one for us, obviously, as we are a college campus. So my one question, um, particularly that I wanted to ask, was about the Illinois Student Loan Bill of Rights. Um, oh, thank you. Um, so I, I know you helped get that going for us. Thank you. Um, but what exactly will the Student Loan Bill of Rights, what exactly does it do to help students and kind of make sure that they're informed about the decisions that they're making when they are taking out loans? So it's the strongest student loan bill of rights in the country. And by the way, we passed it by overriding Governor Rauner's veto, which is just incredible. What the student loan bill of rights does is it regulates these for-profit student loan servicers that have unfortunately been acting in predatory ways, putting student loan borrowers into the most expensive repayment plans, not giving full information about all the options, uh, just acting in ways that frankly are, in my opinion, consumer fraud. And I think tuition is too high. I think student loan debt is too great. I think we've got to do a lot about that problem. But as long as we have the high tuition we have and the student loan burden that we unfortunately are living with, we cannot have these servicers prey upon borrowers just to make the problem worse. Your, and speaking of tuition, your platform um, says, I believe, that you would ultimately want there to be free tuition for colleges. Is that right. correct? Do you believe that that is something that can truly happen, in all honesty? Like, with the economic um, state of things, is that something that can actually happen? And if so, how long would that actually take to be able to be enacted? I believe it has to happen. I think that we chose to make high school free more than a century ago because we understood that it was necessary to have a high school education to be an equal participant in the economy. and. Here we are in 2017, and to be an equal participant in the economy, you need some form of post-secondary certification. So we have that same moral obligation to create free access to uh, college and uh, universities and community colleges. Now, you're right. It's expensive. We can't do it tomorrow. We've got to get there by having the right kind of tax system for a modern economy that actually funds the services that our communities need. And I don't want to pretend that we're going to do that in a year or even two. 
but it has to be the goal. It is an achievable goal. The state has the affluence to make it possible. We just don't have the government to make it possible. Speaking of high schools, the four-year graduation rate um, for 2017 was at 87%. Um, which is actually a, it's, it's not a bad number, actually. Um, but when we look at the inequity between who's graduating, so we see that um, white students are graduating at 91%, Hispanic graduation rate was at 84%, and then the blacks graduation percentage was at a 79%, which also happens to be the same rate as those who were graduating from low-income families. Now, none of these numbers are bad at all. Um, they're actually, they're, they're pretty nice, actually. But is there anything that we can do to help bridge the gap between not only the different um, races, um, graduation rate, but also in the different income levels? Yeah, that's a great question, Shiana. Those two questions are so profoundly linked. We have the most property tax reliant, the most regressive school funding system of any state in the union. It doesn't have to be this way. If we had a modern school funding system like many other states, including Midwestern states similar to our own, we could fund schools in all communities properly, and that would help uh, address the gap. There are other things to be done, too, by the way. Universal access to preschool and early childhood education and child care so that more children arrive at kindergarten ready to learn, that makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Adequate wraparound services, trauma-informed care, counseling. There are communities that are unfortunately ravaged by violence, and students arrive at school with unbelievable trauma, and we need to create schools that are safe havens and uh, networks of support. But fundamentally, if we actually believe that there's potential in every child, we have to create educational opportunities that are available to every child, and that is just not what we do in Illinois right now, and it's a terrible, terrible mistake. Mm -hmm. If we're looking at schools and creating those educational opportunities, does this also pertain to trade schools? So um, advocating for the promotion of trade schools to serve as a sustainable means of employment for future workers. You bet. You bet. Uh, we, we have a, I think a cultural bias that really is a shame that, that uh, leads a lot of parents to push their kids away from the trades and leaves a lot of really decent middle-class job opportunities unfilled. Uh, and I think we need to build an education system and a job training system that are designed for the economy that we have, not the economy that exists in someone's imagination. And you bet vocational education, career technical education, and trade schools must be a part of that. And what about for our dreamers? What can we do or what can you do or bring to the table that can help protect them and, and fight against the, the very real threat that the DACA program will be removed along with it um, would be the dreamer students? Diane, I wish I could just fix it. I, I think that what's being threatened to the dreamers is profoundly un-American and immoral. And uh, I wish that I could tell you that as state senator or as governor, I'm able to uh, restore DACA or pass the DREAM Act or enact a comprehensive pass to citizenship with immigration reform. I, I, I can't pretend that, but I can tell you there are things the state can do. We were proud to pass the Trust Act which is legislation that limits the role that local police forces can play in cooperating with ICE and engaging in detentions and raids and so forth. That's a good step, but that bill got watered down. We should have done more. We should have created greater opportunities for victims of violent crimes to report their uh, situation, regardless of their documentation status. And by the way, 
we have some communities, like my hometown of Evanston, that have enacted very strong welcoming policies, very strong welcoming policies that uh, ensure that the municipal officials will act to protect their residents as opposed to cooperate with federal officials to support. School districts can do the same thing, but there are school districts and municipalities that haven't done this yet. And what we need is a governor who stands up in village halls and city councils and school board meetings across the state and says we need strong welcoming policies here in this community because that's what makes the state of Illinois stronger. I'm going to be that governor. And then the last thing I wanted to ask you really quick, you were endorsed by Our Revolution, um, which many people hopefully know was Bernie Sanders' people, basically. What does this mean for your campaign? Where do you see yourself going now with this endorsement? Uh, It's a very exciting endorsement. And you know what? It's exciting because it it comes on the heels of endorsement of MoveOn.org and National Mercies United, progressive groups, grassroots members across Illinois are flocking to our campaign because they see this as the progressive candidacy and they see this as a people's movement to transform Illinois. And that's how we're going to win and that's how we're going to change our state, by working with people, talking to people, knocking on doors, getting on those phone calls and building out a new kind of politics so that instead of accepting what we've been told is a limit on what's possible, that we work together to change what's possible and build the state that we deserve.